This is Got Moke. My name is Moke. Thank you for tuning into my brand new podcast. It's a draft lottery Friday, and I am anxious as hell to find out where Ottawa is going to be picking. We're going to talk all things Ottawa Senators with Brandon Plant to kick things off. And on the back half of this episode, we're going to get into some Toronto Raptors and NBA. To kick things off, I have Brandon Plant from at Talk underscore on Twitter, Best of Seven podcast, and Sense Talk on YouTube. And we're going to be talking all things Ottawa Senators. Here he is, Brandon Plant. So, Brandon, thank you for joining me today. Uh, it is Draft Lottery Friday at about yes, 2 sir. o'clock. How are you feeling right now? Are the nerves kicking in? Well, the nerves have been kicking in for the last week. You know, this is the biggest moment potentially in the last 10 years in Sanders history. So, uh, the last three years of complete teardown come down to this. So, to say I'm nervous would definitely be an understatement. I think uh, Sen's Army, including yourself, I think we're all on the edge of our seat right now. Yep, it's uh, like I said, it's two o'clock. I've cracked open my first Stella, and I've got a second go. one ready to go. That's where I'm at. That's how you do it. <laughs> Sweet. So before we get to, into too much draft lottery stuff, uh, we did have the Hall of Hall of Fame inductions just a couple days ago. Yeah. Yeah. Now that we've had a couple days to maybe like cool down on the fact that Alfredson got passed over yet again, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, do you think Alfie is going to be getting in eventually? How's that going to go? Uh, I think Alfredson will for sure get in eventually because he is a Hall of Famer. Um, but when is the question? Uh, for the last four years, Alfie's been passed over for God knows what. I don't know what it is. Um, you can take a look at his stats. He's a six-time All-Star. He was on the All-Rookie team in 96. He was on second All-Star team in 2006. This guy 100, had 100 playoff points in 124 playoff games. 12,046 games, 444 goals, 713 apples. 11,057 points. Does that not sound like a Hall of Famer to you? This guy's a gold medal winner. He ha- has won multiple awards. He was drafted in the sixth round, and the year or a year or two later won the Calder Trophy. So I don't know what makes a Hall of Famer, but that sounds pretty close to me. Yeah, I think very well said, actually. I really like that whole rant there. Um, in terms of the guys who did get in, we had, to, again, though, we had Hosa. I, I agree with that 100%. I'm actually pretty happy the host got in first year but then you get to kevin Lowe. what's your thought there i wanted to say congratulations to both of them um again love for sure is a first ballot hall of famer he never he unfortunately never got that cup but uh he played like a cup champion so that guy for sure is a first ballot hall of famer and host i'm happy for him too a little shocked he was the first ballot but definitely deserving as well uh low um that's a whole different topic um I was not born in the 80s, so I wasn't able to watch him. He's a six-time All-Star, apparently, but he wasn't the he, he he was on a team with Wayne Gretzky, and he didn't even have as many points as some defensemen in the NHL this year. So Kevin Lowe is not a Hall of Famer, in my opinion. He should not have been put in, in ahead of Alfredson or Begillany or anyone. I think it's a farce and a joke, and it just shows um, – how, you know, there's a certain term for it, the old boys club where they just vote in all their friends. It looks like they voted their friend in here because I think there is much better deserving candidates uh, over uh, McGillney, uh, not McGillney, sorry, uh, over Lowe. Yeah, I agree 100%. Uh, in terms of who I saw uh, had having the potential to get inducted this year, I saw mm-hmm. McGillney, I saw sure. Theo Fleury, I saw mm-hmm. Rod Brendamore having the opportunity. Yeah. I did not see Kevin Lowe getting in the no. way of da- Daniel Alfredson's chances. <laughs> whatsoever in fact i like you brought up those four because all those four players you just mentioned are all hall of famers in my opinion in different aspects i don't know how flurry's not in yet i don't know how mcgillany is not in yet alfie 
he's an Ottawa native, not Ottawa native, but he played here for 17 of his 18 years, so that probably has an effect. The organization isn't pushing for him to become a Hall of Famer. You have a team like Toronto, for example, you know, and Toronto will push for like Matt Sundin to get into the Hall of Fame, and he will. So without organization, an organization pushing for you, it's very hard to get those votes. So that is one of the big reasons, in my opinion, why Alfie uh, is not a Hall of Famer. Yep, I agree with that as well. Uh, do you feel like the Hockey Hall of Fame should be a little bit more transparent in terms of the process they go through and the voting process? Well, you know, it certainly would help uh, alleviate our concerns and our questions to why Kevin Lowe is a Hall of Famer and the other controversial picks. I certainly think it would help uh, us understand their thinking process. Um, but at the same time, uh, it's all up in the air. You know, what makes a Hall of Famer? Is it a guy that got 1,000 points? Is it a guy that won 20 cups? Honestly, I can't answer you. In my opinion, a Hall of Famer is a guy that was the best player on the team, changed the outcome of the game by playing in the game. That's a Hall of Famer. If you can change the game by just stepping on the ice, that makes you a Hall of Famer. And uh, I think it would be great if the Hall of Fame gave us a better outline, but I don't really know what the outline would be. You know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. I feel like in terms of Alfredson, I felt as if even without staff, even without the gold medal, there was enough of a legacy, at least here in Ottawa, that he should have an opportunity at the Hall of Fame. Yes. And I really do hope that that day comes that he does get put in. Yes. In terms of Kevin Lowe, maybe it's just the huge time gap in between when he played till now that now people are looking at it thinking, oh, well, he won all those Stanley Cups. He was on all those all-star teams. Maybe he yeah. should be in there as well. Well, if we're, if we're going to base it off of that um, theory, let's just put in all those Canadian players through that dynasty of, of like through their like 10 cups or whatever. Let's put all those players in, you know what I mean? Uh, mm -hmm. I think it's ludicrous to put somebody into the Stanley Cup based off of cup winning uh, pedigree, you know? You look at Drum McGinley, that guy's a first ballot Hall of Famer, never won a cup. Alfie, Hall of Famer in my opinion, never won a cup. You can go through the list of these Hall of Famers that have never won a cup. I think winning the cup certainly helps your case, but it should not be the, the, the main antagonist in uh, deciding uh, whether you're a Hall of Famer or not. I think your stats, your skill, and the way you dominated the ice and your awards and everything, that should make you a Hall of Famer. And once again, I'm going to go back to Alfie. That makes him a Hall of Famer. And I look at Kevin Lowe. What I see is a guy that was named to an All-Star team six times when he was playing on potentially one of the best teams in NHL history. And he won a bunch of cup, a bunch of cups. That's all I see from him. And um, honestly, it's it's really just sickening the fact that uh, the Hall of Fame keeps on blundering these picks. And uh, uh, I look forward to uh, the Sedins getting in next year and Zetterberg. But that will, that means Alfie will likely not get in again next year. I'm not I'm not holding my hope uh, my uh, hope uh, that Alfie gets in next year either. Yeah, and if you use that Kevin Lowe logic in terms of Stanley Cups. Today, Chris Kunitz, I believe, is a four-time Stanley Cup winner and a uh, gold medalist. Uh, Does he qualify for the Hockey Hall of Fame now as well? Well, I'll tell you this. I'll tell you this, okay? Uh, as a Sens fan, I, regardless of his accolades and everything, Chris Kunitz, I better, I pray he will never be in the Hall of Fame after 2017. That being said, no. Uh, he was on a team with Sidney Crosby, and I, I completely agree with your point. Just because he won Cups... Just because he won wards or was in the All-Star game or whatever doesn't mean he's a Hall of Famer. Is he a hell of a good player? Hell yeah. He was a fan he's a fantastic hockey player. Is he a Hall of Famer? No. He didn't change the, the outcome of the game by stepping on the ice. That's Sidney Crosby. He changed the outcome of the game because he's that dominant and of good of a player. Kunis isn't that. To be a Hall of Famer, you need to dominate and change the outcome of the game, in my opinion. Yeah, definitely. 
Uh, moving along back to uh, the draft lottery here tonight. Oh, baby. What is your ideal outcome here? Are you just hoping for that first, or are you hoping for a couple within the top three? Well, the most, the, the best scenario for Ottawa is certainly getting number one and two. I think that goes without saying. However, I think if you're a Sense fan, you should just be happy to get a top three pick. You're getting Lafreniere, Byfield, or Stutzler. So if you can get one of those three, you have a transcendent talent adding. You're adding a transcendent talent to an already stacked talent pool. And then probably you'll have the fourth, fifth, or sixth overall pick where you could get Drysdale, Sanderson, Rossi, Lucas Raymond, etc. Ottawa fans should be very excited. But if they get a top three pick, they should be ecstatic. Definitely. And one of the names you brought up there, uh, I personally hadn't heard much about him until recently. And the rumor is Ottawa's really got their eye on him. Well, he seems like a prototypical Ottawa Sanders pick. Tall, skates well, American, has a big shot. That's the prototypical uh, Ottawa Sanders selection. Uh, however, I think this scouting staff is good. And what we saw with Brady Kachuk and Philip Zadina, uh, if they dra- draft Jake Sanderson, uh, he's certainly not a crap player. He's a pretty good player, and he is certainly going to be uh, an HLer. That being said, I prefer Drysdale, but... With the success this draft and scouting team has had, if they draft Sanderson, I will wait until I see the product on the ice and wait until I see the comparable between him and Drysdale. Um, and speaking of Drysdale and Sanderson, um, you know, I look at Sanderson as a definite top four defenseman on a team, probably like a Jacob Truba type of guy, 40, 45 points. And I was just speaking to my friend Noah Luden, the former co-host of my podcast, the Best of Seven podcast, and um, we were speaking of Drysdale and the way I, the way he skates and the just the effortless plays he does and just the beautiful, just the creativity that he has. You know, just Drysdale has, has a great mind. Reminds me sort of like Chris Letang. So I, I put Letang as Drysdale and I put uh, Truba as Sanderson. You can't go wrong with either, but obviously you prefer to have the Letang comparable. Uh, how early do you think Ottawa might? try to reach for Sanderson. Do you see Ottawa maybe reaching for him in the second or third spot, or do you think that's more like a fourth, fifth, sixth area? Oh, what, what do you mean? You think the, are you saying that Ottawa would potentially take uh, Sanderson in the like top, like you're talking about second or third overall? Yeah. If Ottawa ends up with like picks two and three, do you see one of those end up being Sanderson? No, I don't, I don't, I don't think so. Uh, I think uh, Ottawa certainly is high on him because he is the second ranked defenseman in this draft and they need defensemen and they should be high on him. He, He looks like an excellent player. That being said, if he's drafted be in the top five, and I mean in the top five, if he's top no top four, sorry, if he's drafted in the top four, somebody's doing something wrong. If he's drafted in the top five, controversial, but I can get it. You know what I mean? That being said, no, I can't see him going in the top three. If Ottawa gets two and three, it's going to be Byfield, Stutzla, and maybe Drysdale. That's kind of what I'm hoping as well. I feel like uh, there's a definite one to three, but maybe two and three are a little bit interchangeable. Yeah, for uh, sure. And in terms of Sanderson, he seems to be like the most polarizing guy in the first round. I've seen him in yeah. the top 10. I've seen him in like rank 25th. It's pretty nuts. Like it's all over the place. No one seems to really know. I, I think when you look at prospects in general, right? I'm not a general manager. I'm just a hockey. I'm an analyst. I'm a hockey analyst. I love the Sanders. I'm a huge Sense fan. And by the way, if you're listening to this, check out my channel, Sense Talk. Um, <laughs> we have a live stream going on tonight. Uh, I uh, hope you guys uh, watch that replay. Uh, th- it's going to be insane. But that being said, Jake Sanderson, uh, when you look at these prospects, Jake Sanderson, for example, his skating, if you can skate effortlessly, that makes teams more attracted to you. Because 
that is usually the biggest hurdle for a lot of prospects. You can look at like Mark Stone, for example. That was one of his biggest hurdles. And now he can skate well, and now he's a top 20 player in the NHL, in my opinion. So if you look at def- defensemen specifically, if defensemen can skate very well and effortlessly, they're always going to be getting their uh, getting looked at by GM. So no, I don't think it's surprising uh, that um, NHL general managers are looking at Sanderson and that, and that this pick is so polarizing. I think he's... Uh, certainly in the conversation because of his skating abilities uh, and just his steadiness. I think uh, in the NHL, there's a lot of general managers that prefer the safe pick in Sanderson than the risk and reward pick in Drysdale. So I think that's why such a polarizing um, player or selection prospect, whatever you want to call it, because there's such a vast uh, opinion on how to draft. Do you draft for skill and risk and reward, or do you draft for safe and for sure NHL players? There's a certain divide. Uh, in the NHL community between that uh, stance in drafting. Yeah, and Dorian has had a really good record going maybe a little bit against the popular opinion with guys like Kachuk, Bernard Docker, Lassie Thompson, Shane Pinto. It took less than a year for everybody to change their minds about them and become big fans. So I, sure, yeah. I've got a lot of trust that he'll do the right thing. Uh, another name that I'm kind of curious oh, with. Can, sure. can, I, can I actually mention something, what you just said? Yeah. I think uh, Pierre Dorian has had a really tough go. You know, with Eugene Melnick as the owner, it's not easy, okay? Brian Murray, God bless him, and rest in peace, of course, was that glue that kept the Sanders uh, from having all these terrible headlines. We didn't appreciate Brian Murray enough uh, when he was with us, and I just wanted to mention that. But with Pierre Dorian, I think uh, if you look at the trades uh, that he's made, even that Carlson deal now, woof, that looks good. But besides the Mark Stone deal, where he probably could have got back more, for the situation that Pierre Dorian's in, he's done really well, and they've drafted very well. You look at Shane Pinto, like you said, Lassie Thompson looks good, JBD, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, even Brady Kachuk. So, that being said, I think Pierre Dorian deserves much more credit than he's getting for turning this team around so quickly. Now, now I didn't mean to interrupt you. Now you can ask your question. I just wanted to throw that in. Yeah, no worries. I, I think you're right on the ball there. Uh, Dorian has faced a lot of criticism, although nothing – well. He's maybe not done, like, perfectly. There's been a little no, bit of bumps in the road. Yeah. I think overall he's done the best with what he's got. Yeah, uh, with, so with the cards that he's been dealt, he's certainly uh, come up with uh, some type of win, if you can say. Yeah, for sure. Uh, one of the guys I wanted to ask you about here is uh, Askarov. He's oh, yeah. a guy who could jump into the top ten. He could fall outside of the top ten. What's your thoughts on him? Uh, who do you think the comparable would be for him? Well, this kid, I can't say I've watched him more than the World Juniors, okay? Because I don't, I don't watch um, minor leagues in Russia and stuff. But from what I've heard from Craig Button and all these analysts, is he's a f- for sure star goaltender. Now, let's keep in mind, we heard the same thing about Jack Campbell when he went like 11th overall to Dallas, okay? So let's keep that in mind. Um, goalies are so unpredictable. So unpredictable. Henrik Lundqvist was drafted like when there was an eighth round. He was drafted in the eighth round. You don't know what a goalie is going to do when he's at the next level. That being said, Askarov, from what I can see, is going to be a first, uh, a starting goaltender. He's probably going to be an elite goaltender, and he could be the next Carter Hart, where he just comes onto the scene, or like Jordan Bennington, comes onto the scene and starts dominating. Uh, That being said, uh, I would love Ottawa to, if they can, take a jab at him uh, with the Islanders pick. I know Ottawa has a bunch of prospects like Sogard. You got Joey Decord, who I just interviewed. Uh, you got, of course, uh, Marcus Hogwart, Philip Gustafson from the uh, Broussard trade. And then, of course, you got, you know, uh, forgetting his name, but you, Matt Sogard, everybody. You got Kevin Mandelis. Yeah, you got Kevin so many. Yeah, you got so many prospects. 
But when you have a chance, your third first rounder, you could get a top forward in Byfield, Lafreniere, Stutzla, etc. You could get a top defenseman in Sanderson or Drysdale, and then you could get a top goalie in Askarov. If you're Ottawa, that's a dream. Get your top goalie, get your top forward, get your top defense in one draft. That will switch around this uh, direction of this organization in a matter of hours. So, yeah, if Ottawa can get him, I take him. Yeah, I think that uh, picking Askarov might not even really get in the way of guys like uh, Decord and Hogberg uh, making it to the NHL. Obviously, goaltenders tend to take a little bit more time. He he could just be one or two years, but I'd have to think – as a Russian goaltender, I believe he was in the KHL, was he? Uh, I can check that right now. But, uh, I, I believe he was, but... Yeah, but uh, it'll take a few years before he gets here, so that definitely sure. doesn't get in the way of any of the current Ottawa goaltenders. And I think at that point, that's just more assets that you have to trade for the future, right? Yeah, exactly. And uh, he was in the VHL, which is essentially like the CHL in Russia. Okay, fair enough. Uh, so in terms of centers, uh, I think Ottawa has... Very strange kind of center depth. You have some guys who you think can make the jump into the top six next year. You have some guys available in this draft who could be coming in next year. What's your thoughts on Ottawa's center depth? And do you think Ottawa should prioritize taking maybe two centers in that top five? Well, with Ottawa, it's always been the same thing. They always have good centers, but not great. You know, Kyle Turris and and, uh, Broussard, good, but not great. You got a 1A, 1B situation. Mickey Zibanejad is obviously the exception where if they kept him, he would, he would have been the num- number one center without a doubt. That guy's a beast, and we should never have traded him. Um, with that being said, with that being said, Ottawa's center depth looks good. You got, in, in my opinion, this is the order, Josh Norris, Logan Brown, Sheen Pinto. That's a pretty good three of centers. But if you look at all three of them, do any of them pop out to you as a number one center for an NHL team? Maybe Norris, but even that, I don't know. You know what I mean? Yeah. Pinto and Norris look like second-line centers to me. And that's not a bad thing. That's great. They're going to get 65-point seasons, in my opinion. That's their projection once they're at the top of their game. Mm-hmm. But then you look at Logan Brown. Does he have the potential to be a top-line center? Yes. Is he, though, right now? No. He needs to find the consistency. So your question, should Ottawa take two centers in the top five? It all depends uh, where or who is available. But, yes, they certainly should take at least one. And that should definitely be Byfield, in my opinion, if he's available. Uh, what's your thoughts on uh, maybe an undersized guy like Rossi? Do you think that there's a lot more value to maybe having size down the middle? Or are you willing to take a chance on a guy like Rossi? Well, I think um, the old way in hockey was be big and hit. Like Ben Harper, for example, was a prototypical uh, old National Hockey League um, player. Big, not really skilled, but can hit, you know? The league is trending towards a faster pace, and it doesn't really matter about size. Uh, so, yes, if Marco Rossi was available at 6 overall, 6 overall, I'd take him. That being said, there's a few players I'd take before him. But, certainly, if Marco Rossi joined the team, that kid has so much skill. I think he's one of the most underrated players in this draft just based off his size. Uh, if he was bigger, taller, he'd definitely be in the top 4, top 5 consideration. So, um, yeah, the guy, I watched him plenty of times because we're from Ottawa, you know, mm-hmm. and uh Ottawa 67 alumni now, so or maybe he'll play next year, but you know what I mean. He's uh, Ottawa 67, we've seen him many times, and um, he dominates the ice when he's on it, and if you can do that, I don't see, I don't care what size you are. So yeah, I'd definitely take a jab and uh, or a shot at uh, Marco Rossi. 
Yeah, definitely. And if I can propose maybe a little bit of a da- devil's advocate ar- argument yeah, here, um, the last two Stanley Cup winners, it's been a lot of, it's been a very like aggressive checking game. If you look at the team that St. Louis yeah. had when they won the Cup, and the year before when Washington won, that was definitely not the most skilled Washington team that we saw, but they were no. big and they were heavy hitting. Do you think that we, the NHL still has to value that kind of player? Well, of course, of course. It's a physical game. It's a game where you have to hit and get dirty in the boards. But I believe that's for your third and fourth line. Your top two lines should be about skill and speed. Your third and fourth should be about the checking, the hitting, the back, you know, all that stuff, you know, getting into the dirty area. That's your, that's for your bottom six. Your top six, it would be great. Like a Vander Kane, power forward, that's great. You got like Brady Kachuk, that's great. I prefer a player that can do it all. I want a guy that can hit, that can score, like Brady Kachuk. That being said, it's not necessary like it used to be. So Marco Ross can go out there, maybe not hit as much, but score more. I'll take it. You know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. And I really like the player. I've enjoyed watching him play. And it's kind of weird to think that he is Austrian. I can't think of any other Austrian players that I know of at the moment. It's, it's really good for the country. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm sure a lot of people in Austria are uh, looking forward to the draft. Uh, to see uh, one of their natives uh, get drafted. It's certainly uh, fantastic. And uh, hopefully it's sort of like a Germany situation where that starts the trend of more prospects coming out of there. That would be great for the sport of hockey and just hockey in general. Yeah, definitely. And the guy that you brought up earlier, I'm not really sure what to make of him at the moment. I hope he can make the jump next year or the year after. And Logan Brown, I don't think it's necessarily his fault that he's not making making the jump to the NHL at the moment, just because every time he's had something going for him, it's been injury after injury. injury. Uh, Do you see him maybe being able to get healthy and make that jump to the NHL next year? Or at this point, do you see him as more of an expendable piece? Definitely not expendable. Definitely not expendable. When I see, um, and that's not criticizing you, but when I see sense fans saying that he's expendable, I laugh because by the way, check out Sense Prospects. This guy, or whoever, does great work, and you have to check it out because you should watch that video of Logan Brown. He clearly has the vision and skill of an elite or top NHL centerman, you know, like a top six centerman, you know? That being said, the injuries, like you said, really have hurt his chances. Uh, next year, I, I think it's make or break, especially with Ottawa having two in the top six in this draft uh, with Josh North in my opinion, leapfrogging him in the center depth pool. Shane Pinto, uh, North Dakota next year. Let's see how he does. Logan Brown, next year is make or break. If he doesn't have a good year next year, doesn't make it to the NHL or doesn't even dominate in the AHL, maybe he becomes an expendable piece then, but I think you got to give the kid one more year. Yeah, and I'm not suggesting they should go out and trade him assuming For sure they not, get yeah. two centers right now. It's just a question I've seen floating around in the Twitterverse a little bit. Yeah, for and, sure. Uh, yeah, that's pretty much it with him. <laughs> uh, in terms of some other guys in the organization that may be like, forgotten about uh, due to the success of guys like Norris and Batherson, uh, we still have guys like Abramov, Slapik, Davidson, Lajoie, Yaros, Formington. Do you see any of those guys making a big jump next year? Um, it's it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough for them because... They're now in the second tier of sense prospects. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, they're certainly not less skilled. They're certainly not – well, they're, they're less skilled, but they're certainly not, like, crap players. You know what I mean? Um, but, yeah, I don't see I don't see really any of those guys uh, making the leap to the NHL next year. Maybe Abramov on a stint. Davidson has some injuries, so they're probably going to want to keep him in the AHL next year. 
Schlappick. I've never really been high on Schlappick. In my opinion, he was always going to be a bottom six center, and that's what it's looking like. He's mm-hmm. certainly an NHLer, but he's not a he's not a top six center for sure. Um, Lajoie, he's fallen off. Yaros, you know, I'm shocked. Yaros, uh, I thought he had a good year a couple years ago, and uh, I don't know why he's not in the NHL. Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of got pushed down. Uh, I think Yaros should be in the NHL, uh, but I don't think he will be. I don't know if there's a spot for him. Um, but honestly, if you had to look at those options, it's probably Vitaly Abramov, Schlappig, and Yaros. Those are your three likely out of that group that will have any action in the NHL next year. Yeah, I've, I've not given up completely on Lajoie just because there was a little bit of a stint where we saw a lot out of him. A couple yeah. of years back, he seemed to be good at putting up some numbers and then was maybe a victim to being a shutdown pair with Cody Cece a little bit. I was surprised to not see him come up this year, but there was a lot of injuries in Belleville, so they might have wanted to keep him there, eh? Well, being exactly well, I just want to touch up on CC for a sec. Being with CC certainly killed his chances. Uh, just, just look at the advanced stats, and he fell off a cliff once being with CC. And uh, can you ask the second question? Kind of, um, yeah, it wasn't really a question, but uh, I, I'm surprised that I did not see him come up this year. And uh, yeah. it might just have been the fact that Belleville was having so many injuries on defense; they might have wanted to keep him there just for some stability. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think uh, he struggled. He struggled this year. Uh, out of the gates, he really wasn't... Uh, he started off well. We all know that. But uh, since that hot start, he's really struggled. And, um, you know, obviously I wish nothing but the best um, for Max Lejoie. I really hope he can turn it around in the next year. Especially maybe this little break will help him clear his head and, you know, get on the right track. But, um, you know, uh, with all the prospects coming up, I, I don't even, I, I put Yaros over him in... In, in Belleville alone for guys that are going to get called up. So he's really in the doghouse right now. And, um, you know, I'm not, I, I like him. I certainly think he's capable of becoming some sort of NHL player. But um, is that with Ottawa? I don't know. I don't know if they're even going to have a spot for him. So uh, is it, if, if you're, if we're talking about Lejoie, yeah, he could be an NHLer, but I don't think it'll be with Ottawa. Yeah, that's fair enough. Ottawa does seem to have a lot of uh, really good defensive prospects on their way. Yeah, and obviously yeah. not everyone's going to turn out, right? And sure. uh, one of the other guys I mentioned there was uh, Formanton. He did make camp, make the team out of camp twice, and then last yep. year he spent the whole time in the AHL, put up some really good numbers. Do you see him maybe hopping onto the team, maybe not necessarily as a top six guy, but uh, still making it, making it onto the team? I think the best scenario for for Fermentin, if he's not in the top six, would be on the third line, with like some like with Chris Turney, for example. You put him with Chris Turney. Turney, you know, he's not a flashy player, but he's somehow every single season. I look at his stats; he ends up with forty five, fifty points. And I can't remember one goal he scored, but he's a consistent player. I don't know how he does it, but he's really good. He's sort of a veteran. He's young, but he has a lot of NHL experience while playing on that San Jose team before coming to Ottawa. So if you put Turney. The mentor Formentin on the the mentor uh, Formentin on the third line. I think that'd be a great uh, scenario. And on top of that, Formentin uh, being on the third line, he can really use, utilize that speed against more grinder checking forwards against that he would be playing against. So I think that th- a third line position next year is certainly in the realm of possibility for Alex Formentin and uh, even a second line opportunity as well. Yeah, and he's a guy that has played on the penalty kill as well. And it wasn't all that long yeah, ago sure. that uh, the World Juniors were wanting him to be the captain. Unfortunately, he got injured and was in it, unable to do it. But uh, I think he's definitely a guy that I'm excited to see over the next couple of years. 
And I think I think that's a great point you touched up on there. Uh, Jack Capiano, DJ Smith, the Sanders coaching staff, with Anthony Duclair, when they put him on the penalty kill, that was because of speed and everything. And I, I, I don't know why they wouldn't do that with Alex Formenton. Can you imagine Duclair and Formenton on that penalty kill? I it will definitely be the top team for shorthanded goals. That'd be insane. Yeah, like a reverse power play, basically. Basically, yeah. It wouldn't be. Un- it would be unfair for all other thirty-one teams in the National Hockey League. Sweet. And uh, just before I let you go, I don't want to keep you too much longer here. Uh, do you have any? Uh, don't worry about it. Do you have any predictions for where you think Ottawa will land their picks tonight? Well, obviously, I pray for number one, but I think the odds and just my personal, like the way I'm feeling, we're probably gonna get the second overall pick. And hopefully that's uh, Quinton Byfield there. And fourth overall, where hopefully it'll be uh, Drysdale. Yeah, words right out of my mouth. That's exactly what I was thinking, too. Yep, yep. Jeff, thanks again for hopping in with me. I appreciate the time. Hey, and I appreciate it. And uh, if anyone wants to check out my stuff, do you mind if I just give a little bit of a plug here? Oh, yeah, definitely plug away. Perfect. Uh, so firstly, on Twitter, you probably see me. If you haven't, uh, great follow, and I'd really appreciate the support. At Sensoc underscore. Uh, of course, on YouTube, you can find me at Sendstock. Uh, we have a podcast, the Best of Seven podcast. Make sure to check that out. Uh, I really appreciate you having me on, man. I can't wait to, to hear the episode. It's been a lot of fun. And uh, go Sens go. And uh, here's hoping for tonight, you know? Perfect. Thank you. <laughs> been a pleasure. Once again, that was Brendan Plant. I love the passion. He's a great follow on Twitter, at SenseTalk underscore. And definitely check out his podcast, Best of Seven. He did a really awesome interview recently with Joey Decord. Now, obviously, that was recorded before the actual draft lottery happened. And to be completely honest, I did not see last night turning out any bigger storylines beyond where Ottawa was going to be picking. I did not for a second think that it was possible for a placeholder team to win that first overall pick. Now, obviously, Ottawa is going to be picking five and three, the San Jose pick being at number three. But the bigger story is simply that one of the teams that has a chance to get into the playoffs is going to be picking first overall. So we don't even get to find out who that team is for another few months here. Apparently, there's going to be another draw in which all the teams who do not make it past the qualifying rounds will have an equal opportunity to get that first round pick. Now, obviously, as hockey fans, as Sens fans, there is a lot of concern that that team could be a team like Toronto, Pittsburgh, Edmonton, one of those stacked teams, maybe in these qualifying rounds, they stumble a little bit and they fall flat on their face. They don't quite get into the playoffs. Now, all of a sudden, you're adding Alexis Lafreniere into their lineup. It's absolutely nuts, and I just pray it does not happen. Now, in terms of where Ottawa is picking, it was a little bit disappointing to see their name come up at number five. We were hoping for one and two. Didn't quite get either one of those, but five and three are both very good options. You're still going to get some very good players there. At number five, it could be Annie of Sanderson, Drysdale, maybe Raymond's still there, Perfetti, Rossi, and who knows, maybe even Alexander Holtz too. And at number three, one of probably Stutzla or Byfield. I think it's probably going to be Stutzla. I really think Los Angeles is going to go for the big center in that number two spot. Now, another intriguing thing to bring up is that the New York Islanders first round draft pick that Ottawa owns is draft lottery protected. So if the New York Islanders miss the playoffs and they end up winning the draft lottery, taking that first overall pick, 
It is no longer Ottawa's pick. Ottawa then will be taking the New York Islanders draft pick next year in 2021. Now, that's about all I really have to say today on what happened at the draft lottery last night. We'll get into it a little bit more in my next episode. We will completely overanalyze everything. It's going to be exciting. But for now, let's move on to some other topic. Now, as I mentioned off the top of the show, I am going to get into some Toronto Raptors. I've got a special guest, Byron Chan, and we are going to do some reminiscing on last year and do a review of this past year. Here he is. So, Byron, thank you for calling in. How are you doing today? You bet. I'm doing well, you know, just just living life in, in my home, air-conditioned yeah. home. <laughs> yeah, so you're back in Ottawa after spending last spring in uh, downtown Toronto. Coincidentally, we had the NBA playoffs going on at that time, the finals with the Raptors and Golden State Warriors. I was just wondering if you could tell us a little bit about the atmosphere in downtown Toronto. Yeah, it was crazy. I mean, I personally wasn't into to basketball um, pretty much any time before that, I started watching uh, during the uh, Sixers series in the playoffs, and uh, and I was hooked. I was absolutely hooked. And so um, after that, I mean, with the with the shot, you know, the classic Kawhi shot that that made the difference. Um, three bounce. Yeah, exactly. I think it was four bounces. Was it play. four? Okay. Yeah, the, the four. I just remember like the anticipation. You know, everyone. I I feel like. Like, I mean, I was just watching it at home at that time, but I feel like everyone in Canada was silent for that, you know, like that couple of seconds, you know, like it was just anticipation at its peak. Yeah, that was a perfect broadcast the way they did that with the, the commentator just completely cutting out and you just hear the ball bouncing against the rim. Oh, it was beautiful. I, I actually got the chance to, to be there for Kawhi's um, ring presentation. Mm-hmm. And it was just, it was really, really cool. What they did was basically, um, they showed the highlight clips of, of last year's um, season. And then they, they also uh, had lights, like kind of projected lights uh, in the in the shape of how he he ran and took the shot. And then it it all lit up like really, really uh, dramatically. It was, it was great. Wow, that, lo- that sounds just absolutely beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> it was, it was so awesome. Yeah, what was it like being down in uh, Jurassic Park? Because I know you mentioned you were there for uh, one or two of the games. Yeah, it w- it was so crazy. Um, I mean, it started off being like, oh yeah, like I'll I'll go and you know stand there for a little bit, you know, I'll watch ball games standing up. I mean, that's not in it of itself that desirable, but it was super super exciting. Like you can definitely feel the energy was completely different from just like watching it at a bar. Like it was even it was like times fifty. Like, it was crazy. It was as if you were in the stadium itself, right? Um, and so the first time I went was actually during the Bucks series. Um, I went, I think it was game, I forget, I think it was game two and then game four. I was so mad because um, I was originally going to go to game three of the Bucks, um, but I couldn't find anyone else to go with, so I just watched it at home. Uh, but that was the day that they were actually handing out OVO long sleeve shirts with the the picture of the iconic shot. I was so cheesed that I didn't get to go and and get one of those for free. But um, yeah, yeah, it was it was insane. Yeah, that's actually a shame that I wasn't in downtown Toronto for that. I would have definitely gone <laughs> with you. <laughs> oh man, dude! Like, uh, hopefully, I mean, like after all these, after the out after the cloud clears, I guess we can. We should definitely go and watch a game sometime. Yeah, I'm definitely into it. 
uh, in terms of like the atmosphere here in Ottawa, just going to like Boston Pizza and Barhaven for a few of the games, like it's loud, it's crazy, especially uh, the moment where uh, Kevin Durant returned and then went mm-hmm. down with an injury. It got so loud so fast. Yeah, I mean, part of it, I think it was like, I don't think anyone meant, I mean, there was a lot of backlash there, right? Like, I don't think anyone meant harm, but in cheering, right? Like, we just wanted to win. Everyone was kind of in it. Um, and a lot of people didn't know um, that, like, KD, like, I, at least for myself, like, I knew of KD, you know, before um, entering, really watching basketball, I knew of him. Yeah. But uh, I didn't know at what capacity, like, at what level he could bring. But then I started watching highlights of, of him playing, like, before he came back. And I was just like, oh, my gosh. If if he comes back during the, the finals, like, how are we even going to compete? You know, like, yeah. it's just a crazy dynasty that we're kind of up against. And, um, yeah, like, that, that cheering moment, it was it was interesting. It was, like, uh, <laughs> it, was so, it was so funny to hear, like, the kid the, – um, us being classic Canadians to to say, oh yeah, sorry for for cheering about your injury. Of course, we never wanted to, <laughs> that to happen. But. Yeah, <laughs> well, not that it's much of a defense, but in the little bit of that game, the KD did play. He had an impact, and I think he was ultimately the difference by the end of that when the Raptors did lose. <laughs> yeah, I, I think, and it's also like the the energy he brought back. Like, of course, it was like the shot making and. And um, and all of that, but uh, I think it was just like bringing back the the morale of the team, like the morale of the Warriors. Of course, like as reigning champions, leading a dynasty, like they were still going in strong. But um, it's just a classic underdog story for Toronto, for Raptors to to take this one as a win. Yeah, definitely. I almost felt like every series they went into, everyone's saying that. Toronto's probably going to lose in five or six, but uh, no, they came out victorious, and it was absolutely unreal. Uh, did you attend uh, the parade? I was actually there for a little bit, but I, 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 I actually didn't like. I live basically where the the parade is. Like I could hear it for for the most part. But for one, it was too hot. For two, there was not like accessible bathroom. Like. Basically, Toronto has never faced something like this before, you know, like never has Toronto seen, at least I don't think, has it seemed like the, like, what I think it was 2 million people who showed up, I think, oh, wow. <laughs> like, I don't think Toronto has actually seen that many people in that vicinity. And so um, for me, I think it was during the day, I think all of that, it was just too much for me. So I was just watching it um, as it unfolded. And... Uh, being near it, I, I also heard like all the crazy stuff that was going on too. Like this stab, like I think someone got stabbed. I think there was like some shots fired as well. Like, yeah, I do remember that happening. That was pretty nuts to hear about. Yeah, I mean, there, there with with so many people, right? Like, of course, it was great to see so many people celebrating in the streets. Like, I wasn't part of the the parade, but I actually went to Dundas Square um, during the. Uh, the celebration of winning the championship, like the the night of, and yeah. that in and of itself was crazy. It was so cool to see so many people just out and about. Of course, uh, <laughs> in in our pandemic right now, like I I actually just recently saw a video of the contrast of the parade and what Toronto looks like now, and it's pretty pretty stark contrast there. 
Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I mean, it, it was just it was crazy. I, I don't. It was unprecedented. I don't think Toronto has any ever seen that. No, uh, it's been at least fifty years since the Maple Leafs have won anything. I <laughs> I think the Blue Jays might have won something in the nineties. Yeah, uh, I think it was I know. Ninety three was yeah. the last championship for Toronto. Yeah, and I think the Argonauts not too long ago did win the Grey Cup, but obviously that's not a huge deal in Toronto. <laughs> did they actually win? Yeah, they won uh, when the Grey Cup was happening here in Ottawa. What? I yeah. mean, <laughs> what? I thought I thought the Red Blacks won. No, uh, they won the I guess two years before that, but uh, this oh. year, uh, well, that year particularly, the Red Blacks I think got knocked out in the middle of the playoffs. Right. I mean, I've I've only been to one Argos game, but it was hilarious because we were against the Rough Riders. Oh yeah. <laughs> and it was just it was so funny because uh, I think more than half the stadium was Rough Riders fans. Like I, I I did not see any blue. All it was just a sea of green, and I was like, where am I right now? Like where are all these Saskatchewan, Saskatchewan people coming from? I think. Yeah, that's a phenomenon that I think happens at most of the uh, big stadiums in the CFL. For whatever reason, the Rough Riders are just kind of a common, popular team in all the cities. It's just surprising. I mean, like, the population-wise, I'm, I'm surprised that there's so many just devout... Uh, maybe it's just the bandwagon of it all, I guess. But it, it yeah. is pretty funny to to see. Like, even in Tor- in Ottawa, I I know a lot of friends who are Rough Rider fans rather than Redback, Red Black fans. But... Yeah, it's pretty bizarre. But to kick things back to NBA, um, with the Kawhi leaving last year, I think coming into this year, we really got to a nice glimpse of how much Kyle Lowry means to the team in the city, mm-hmm. and that he's really the heart and soul guy behind everything. Yeah, yeah, like seeing him, um, because I was hooked back into basketball, seeing him this uh, this past season was super, super inspiring, because because he was out with an injury for for a pretty substantial amount of time, but in that time he wasn't doing nothing. He was actually uh, playing more of a, a coaching role, or or um, yeah, just like a a game player mode mm-hmm. uh, role in terms of on the team, right? Like uh, you could tell you could tell like during the games he he would give tips and and um, and comments to 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 the younger players especially. Yeah, uh, with regards to you know how to how to how to make plays, how to work as a team. Um, right, the Raptors being a, a predominantly you know defensive heavy team, uh, I think plays into their strengths in that way. And and Kyle Ra- Lowry is definitely a uh, a key player in that in that way. Yeah, a lot of people thinking that after the departure of Kawhi, that uh, the Raptors might not even be a playoff team, but. Uh... Mm-hmm. Here we are, and they're in the top four still. And a lot of that does have to do with Lowry and uh, Siakam improving. And uh, Terrence Davis, the rookie uh, who was undrafted, oh, yeah. oh, that's yeah. a really cool story there too. It's it's just fascinating to see so many uh, players just kind of pick up. Because basically the, re- the, the reasoning behind last year was because, like, oh, like most of these players were, you know, the bench. And now the bench is becoming the, the – the starting five and even the bench uh has kind of picked up the places of of um shining stars like like terrence davis like like you said uh it, it's crazy to see you know their improvement and and i think it's it's all to do with um 
the momentum that they built as champions, you know? Yeah, as bringing in, like, a group. winning atmosphere to that team. Yeah, exactly. Like, I, I don't think Toronto has seen this kind of, <laughs> this kind of, uh, this joy, this kind of, you know, dominance in a while. And so uh, it's refreshing, definitely, to see uh, them taking the role of, of champions, right? right? Like, a lot of people would, would probably say, oh, like, yeah, great, they, they picked up a win this year. But um, I think the difference is that, you know, we ha- like we as Raptors, as Raptor fans, as, as the team, as, as all of these, uh, have picked up the role of champions. You know, like, has actually said, no, we, we are, you know, champions in, in this light. Yeah, very, very well said. And the, another really cool thing I find is that when you look at some of the other top teams, you know, LA's got LeBron. The other LA team has uh, Paul George and Kawhi. Milwaukee's got uh, Giannis Antetokounmpo. And then with Toronto, it, I don't feel like there's that one big star. It's just a big team effort. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I mean, that's kind of the balance of if you if you look at basketball, right? Like, um, it's really easy to have one shining star. And and for us, I, I think we we have a few that that you know fall in line. Like, you can't just um, brush off, you know, Siakam or Lowry or even Van Fleet, you know, like, um, two of those guys actually went on to the all-star game, you know, like, mm-hmm. it's, it's no short feat, and so um, I think we do have potential for that, um, of course, not to the same level of LeBron or, or Giannis, but um, yeah, I, I think it, it's being able to play as a team that is the strength of, of the Raptors. Yeah. And a lot of people, I think, in Canada and Toronto were really hoping for two years in a row getting <laughs> first place. But unfortunately, everything has come to a grinding halt with COVID. Uh, NBA is currently signed on to start, to, well, restart a season in Disneyland to come the end of July. Mm-hmm. Fortunately, there are a lot of players that just don't seem overly interested in it. With everything going on with COVID and the protests, uh, uh, there's just a general lack of interest from a lot of the players and a lot of the players speaking out against wanting to restart this right away. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's natural, right? Like, I think uh, with this, uh, it's not just NBA, but like even the world have have kind of split into two camps of you know one some people saying, oh, it should be fine, you know, everything's okay. Of course, take precautions. Uh, and then there's another uh, realm where, you know, people do understand that, okay, like, we flattened the curve, but uh, we still got to maintain this or else all the time that we spent off was, was almost, you know, useless. And, it, it, it yeah, it's, it's a pretty um, unprecedented time, but it's I, I find it pretty um, interesting to see that, you know, like, it was unprecedented that Raptors would win, yeah. you know, a championship. And now we've gotten to the point of, wow, okay, like, we would have never imagined this world of pandemic. Yeah, exactly. And uh, one of the guys who has uh, come out and said a lot in, well, against going to Orlando to play in Disney World is uh, Kyrie Irving. Fortunately, he's currently injured. But uh, the quote from him is, I don't support going to Orlando. I'm not with uh, systemic racism and the expletive. Something smells a little fishy, and uh, he feels as if it would distract against uh, the fight against systemic racism. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, 
there are so many things going on, and I and I think it's it's not necessarily um, that it's it's worse than ever before. I I think that being at home and being more um, isolated, people have the opportunity to actually reflect uh, and look at the issues of the world. And and I think like just coming from um, from that standpoint, uh, a lot of people have the right to to look at those things. Um, with regards to Kyrie's kind of comment, I, I, I think it, it does have a lot of merit, you know. I, I think it does uh, take into account of, you know, what, what truly is uh, important and what are the issues of the world and not just kind of, you know, ignoring them. Um, but at the same time, I think there's balance that needs to be taken, right? I don't, I don't think um, all the issues and even the pandemic and all of these things would be solved through... Um, through anger or or through you know boycotting everything that <laughs> that exists and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, yeah, it, it's an interesting place that we 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 are in, and I think the beauty of it is that we can actually have a civilized conversation. You know, like everyone's kind of <laughs> joking on World War Three, which I don't think will happen because uh, the reality of our society is that more more people are educated in all reality, right? More people are educated, more people have um, the ability to articulate their opinions um, and actually have um, valid discourse with regards to issues, right? And so uh, Kyrie making this statement is, is completely justified and, and, and has its merit. Um, but I, yeah, I also see the other side of it. Yeah, definitely. I feel like just canceling everything completely might not have the desired effect, but I do see where he's coming from in that putting an NBA season back on might distract from some of the major issues going on within the world. Yeah. I, yeah, it's hard. It's hard to be the NBA right now. Yeah. (laughs) Or even any, you know, sports league at this point, you know, like sports is something that allows a lot of people to escape, you know, like it's, it's such a, such an awesome um, thing to be able to follow and, and and be invested in and there's just so much of the world of sports that it offers you know that kind of joy you know like that excitement that camaraderie it brings us together yeah like we experienced last year <laughs> yeah exactly it builds community right and so I think there is beauty and I think there is a place for for sports even even at this point. I don't know if bringing it back right now is is the the key to it because I mean by the time you know it starts and and ends the 2020 2021 series or the season should begin and so yeah I I don't know it, it's tough for them to say to to just like write off a, a whole season yeah um, but at the same time like what you know what are you trying to do like what is that so Maybe, maybe to answer, I think if the NBA desires to, you know, um, give more uh, reasoning behind their decisions, uh, I, I think it, it, it lies in the place of uh, allowing for more transparency, you know, like sharing why they do this. And of course, people will disagree. You know, it's not a matter of if they will disagree. I think because there's so many people, you know, people will disagree um but having that transparency allows people to trust you know 
Mm-hmm. So, like, when he says there's something fishy, well, if there's transparency, then... Uh, and, and, and I guess being a little bit vulnerable uh, when you're transparent, right? Yeah, exactly. Allows for that. Yeah, so from what it sounds like, uh, we're going to get uh, 16 Western teams and 9 from the East. Uh, there's going to be, I guess, kind of a round robin and a play-in before the playoffs actually start. So there's a good chance that not every team going there initially is going to have to be there for more than, like, say, a month or two. But mm-hmm. after that, it does sound like we're getting into, like, three, three and a half, maybe even four month long of just being in Disneyland and not being allowed to go anywhere else. <laughs> I mean, there's worse places to, to be stuck in during a pandemic, right? Yeah, and uh, right now I'm pretty sure uh, Disneyland's open to the public too, so <laughs> I'm a little wow. confused as to how that's going to go, if they're going to be putting a specific section for the NBA that the public's not allowed to get to, or how that's going to work. Because I know when they signed on, uh, like the whole idea was it's going to be an isolated place. They have basically all the resources there that they would need. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, it, I mean, if I was there, if I was at Disneyland, that would be crazy, you know, to be able to just see. You know, I personally, I've never been, so that would just be exciting in and of itself. But yes. then have all these, you know, all-star basketball players there. Uh, I think it would just be the icing on the cake. It was just. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think uh, for my own selfish reasons, I I do hope that uh, the NBA and other sports leagues like the NHL are able to come back because mm-hmm. now is the time when you know the TV ratings are gonna be absolutely astronomical. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and again, it's bringing back to that sense of community, right? Like because there's so much separation now um, from people, uh, I think now more than ever we need sports you know to to bring us together to to help us you know be able to celebrate together and and yeah just bring us all back yeah and uh, also really helps when you're trying to run a sports podcast too (laughs) (laughs) i'm sure you know there's actual things to to talk about (laughs) yeah (laughs) Uh, i think uh, that's pretty much uh all i have to say on that aspect of things but uh in terms of some more like fun kind of questions uh would you go with uh if you were to build your team to go into the playoffs would you go with uh Giannis Antetokounmpo or would you want uh, LeBron James Ooh, that's tough I mean I just love the Greek freaks uh I, I do think that he is getting better and better right yeah not to say that LeBron's out of his prime or anything but at the same time, I think um, Giannis does have um, the leg up in that regard. You know, like he's constantly getting better. If you look back at, at even last season, he's he's better than than he was before. And so, um, if I were to to create this draft team, uh, definitely the Greek Freak would be uh, on that. Yeah, I cannot uh, disagree with that whatsoever. Obviously, uh, Milwaukee being first place in the East right now, and uh, he just seems absolutely unstoppable. Very, uh, very good defensive player as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just yeah, it's just so like when I watch him, I'm like it's just so buttery smooth, you know? Like it's just it's just so nice to it's it's almost watching a dance. Like yeah, dance like just fantastic. Yeah, if you ever play with him in uh, NBA 2K, you're pretty well set to win the game. <laughs> <laughs> it's like cheating, man. Oh yeah, definitely. 
And uh, my favorite part about him is being able to use the phrase, would you like to Giannis my on Tentacumpo? Oh. <laughs> I don't even want to know what that means. <laughs> I don't know. I, I thought about that like two days ago and I had to fit this in somehow. <laughs> I like it. I, I mean, I like it. I mean, you would definitely see that on a shirt. You know what I mean? Like that's a, that's a t-shirt. That's a mug. You know, just bring it a Vista print and you're going to got, you got merch. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we'll see if I can uh, do something, maybe uh, make some money for charity. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and uh, just before I let you go here, uh, if uh, playoffs are gonna go ahead, uh, who do you have as uh, the winner this year? I mean, I mean, <laughs> I I mean, I gotta, I have to, I have to uh, cheer for my good old team, uh, the Raptors. I mean, they're the reason I really even got into basketball, right? I mean, uh, being biased, of course, Canadian. Yeah. But I, I do see that their their teamwork, their their, um, you know, they're just yeah, they're ready to to, to put in the work for yeah. a championship. Yeah, I feel that I've I've gotten a little bit too attached to that team as well. <laughs> yeah. What about yourself? Um, I'm gonna be cheering for the Raptors, but uh, I think I'm gonna have to go with the Clippers this year. I think it might be. Uh, a Kawhi two peach. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Well, okay. Here's the thing. I I think I I would cheer for the Raptors no matter what. Yeah. I I think the Lakers will take it though. Yeah. I think the Lakers have what it takes at this point to to take it home. And you know, LeBron, just give him another one. You know, he's all yeah. he's almost done. <laughs> I, I think he's 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 slowing down here. <laughs> yeah. I I know. Uh, last season, uh, he definitely. Uh, took a step down, but this season he seems to have gotten it back a little bit more. And obviously, yeah. I'm excited for Space Jam 2, so... <laughs> oh, dude, I'm stoked. I'm excited for that. I haven't seen Clay in a minute, so I'm excited to see Clay Thompson in that, too. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> now that's all I've got for today. Special thanks to both of my guests, Brendan Plant and Byron Chan, for hopping on the pod with me. And thank you guys for listening. Follow me at GotMoke on Twitter and let me know what you think. If you have any other topics you want me to get into, let me know. Toss me a DM, tweet at me, whatever. I'll be back with another episode relatively soon. We're going to talk draft lottery and hopefully I'll have some more awesome guests. Thank you. Phillips has shot to Foligno, the time, how did he miss the open goal? Six by four, and he comes up zero. But Condra had a little something to do with it as well. Turns and feeds the puck to Tom Potter, works his way open, he shoots, he scores!